17 years old, height 5 foot 6 inches. Lives at grandmother's house, but chooses to do things her own way. Special skills include baking, skipping, and cage fighting. Servant's heart, but a short temper. She is trained in the martial art of shin kicking. Her shin kicks have been known to be fatal. Even uses her hood as a weapon to blind the wolf to better kick him. In 2012, was recruited as the starting kicker for the Arizona Cardinals, but passed on the opportunity due to being late to grandmother's house. This little girl may look innocent, but she packs a mean punch. Hey, I just want to do a real quick shout out to our campuses at Santan and then at Scottsdale. Just so glad to have you guys be part of this service with us. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we're in a series. We're actually wrapping up today called Out of the Woods. And we've been talking about this idea that many of us have gotten into the woods uh, financially. And so we've been having a conversation to say, what would that take? What would it take to change this in our lives, to actually blaze a path out of the woods? We've been saying, look, here's the deal. This, this isn't about getting something from you. This is about getting something for you. Because I just look, if you and I can get out of the woods, then I'm just guessing that being generous is going to be a whole lot easier. It's going to be that much easier to obey God if you were out of the woods financially. So we've just been saying, how can we be helpful in this conversation? How can we do that? Uh, and how can we uh, begin to take money that has so often controlled our lives and start controlling it instead? And what we promised you uh, is a day that's just super practical. We're just going to go through some real, how do you literally blaze a path? What are the practical steps that would walk some of us that are in trouble in this area of our lives out of the woods? So here's what we did. We provided you with a card. And I'm just going to encourage you today, if you don't do it any other day, to take some notes. Because I know nobody in this room needs this. But uh, your neighbor does. And, uh, you know, you can slide it in their door, ring the doorbell, run away. But your neighbor needs this. Your kids are going to need this. And, and just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, there might be a helpful hint on here for you, okay, on getting out of the woods. So let's just do that. Let's dig in real, real quick. I'm going to give you four practical steps uh, to moving you and me out of the woods financially. Here's what I want to ask you to, to consider today. This is going to require adjustment. This isn't a good sermon. You walk out of here, get in the car, go home and do nothing with If you do nothing with it, you'll be in the woods. I'm going to ask you to listen today with a soft heart that simply says, what if I did that? Would that benefit? Would that be helpful? Would that move me in the right direction? And even though there may be a little bit of pain attached and there may be a little bit of adjustment in my life attached, how much better would my life be if I was out of the woods financially? And I'm going to ask you to leave this place and do it. Just just do it and see what happens. Hey, if a worst case scenario happens and being healthy financially really doesn't feel good to you, then you can go back to being reckless. Just go. You, you, you can always reverse this decision, right? So give it a try. See what God would maybe do with you. Okay, so here we go. Step number one uh, toward getting out of the woods. Uh, you and I today are going to make a decision. When you get done today, as you go home, I'm going to ask you to decide to live on a percentage of your income. You're, you're going to say, this is... This is how much of my income I'm going to decide that I know I'm going to spend every month. This is how much I'm going to have already going out of my household, going out of my house from the very beginning. Every one of us lives on a percentage of their income. Every one of us does. The problem is some of us haven't decided what the percentage is. 
And so some of us right now, you're living on 100% of your income. So you've let culture and greed and bad habits make this decision for you. And so you live every month just maxing out living at 100%. Some of us are living at 120% of our income, and we're wondering why we're in the woods. And I'm just going to simply ask you to make a decision to live on a percentage that is less than the income that you have coming into your home. See, here, here's why this is so critical. When you and I have an income of X, you know, however many thousand dollars that is per month. When you and I have that income and when you and I allow ourselves to live anywhere in proximity to a hundred percent of that income, we already know, hey, you know, in order to make the payments and do what I do, to live the way that I, I I'm, I'm bumping up against that every single month. We've already said, you realize that's where tension happens in your home. That, that, it, it, it is this area in between, when this is here, that causes so much dispute for you. But here's the real problem. Something's going to happen that you didn't foresee. So you're going to take your kid to the dentist. You're thinking they got one cavity. You're going to walk out of the dentist. They're going to go, $1,800 worth of scaling and scraping. They're going to go, what? Uh, you're going to get to the middle of August. And guess what's going to, anyone going to guess what's going to happen in the middle of August? Yeah, your compressor is going to go out and you're going to go, I, I don't have 800 bucks laying around for a new compressor. And so here's what's going to happen in the moment. Because you've been living at 100% of your income. And you go, I, I can't, I mean, my kids can't sleep in a 140 degree house. I, I guess I'm going to put it on Visa. And in that moment, you ready for this? Visa is going to be your savior at 20% interest plus. And the reality is, you ready for this? Your lifestyle is going to reduce anyway. You're going to have less to live on because now you've got a payment to Visa at 20 plus percent interest. And if instead, think about this, think about this. If before the moment had come, if you had had the wisdom to say, you know what, I'm, I'm only going to have a certain percentage of my money going out each month. I'm going to set some aside. And all of a sudden, the air conditioner breaks down, the kid has the dental bills, and that bump comes in your You realize you're able to, ready for this? You're able to loan to yourself to pay for that compressor. And guess what interest rate you charge yourself? Zero. Do you realize, do you realize how much pain this averts? Do you, do you realize how much more healthy this is for you in your life? Matter of fact, let me just read your scripture real quick. It's Proverbs chapter 21, and we, we've already done this before. But in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, it simply says this, ready? The wise store up choice food and olive oil. In other words, the wise, even though they have that much money coming in, choose to store some up. They set some aside in their lives for this very reason, to create a margin. What if in their lives? But look at this. The fool gulps theirs down. See, the fool says, that's how much I have. That's how much I'll consume. That's the level I'll live at and just hope nothing happens. So you and I are going to, somewhere after you leave here today, you're going to sit down with your spouse and say, look, what is the percentage of our income that we're going to feel comfortable living on? Now, let me give you a goal. I believe it is absolutely in your best interest to try to get your finances to where you're living on 80% of your income. You've created a 20% margin in there. And I, oh, 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 I get some of you, know, Lynn, I, I couldn't possibly, that's okay, okay. That's the goal. That's where we're going to get. And you're going to see some other steps are going to help create some margins, some new money into your household. And maybe as those steps come into fruition, you'll be able to get to this 80% level. So, but, but at least start somewhere. You know, it, hey, we're going to live on 99%. We're going to have 1% margin. Woo! Woo! You know, but do something, right? Create some sort of margin in your life. Okay? Step number one. 
We're going to choose to live on a percentage of our income. Number two, you and I are going to begin to track our spending. We're going to begin to track our spending. Now, guys, look, we've been pushing you so hard about creating a budget, which really the first step of it is just saying, where did the money go? Just going back and looking at my last two months of bank statements and saying, where did I spend the money? And guys, we've been really reticent to do this. We've really hesitated to do. How are you going to know how to get out of the woods if you don't know where you are in the woods? And guys, here's what I think is happening. I think I think there's a part of us that's fearful about creating a budget because here's what we're thinking. Budgets equal frugal. I'm going to end up being like Amish. You know, I'm going to be cooking over a little, you know, that. Guys, 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 guys. Budgets don't make anybody frugal. Matter of fact, the reality is, as you create a budget, you're going to decide how much you spend on entertainment, how much you spend on cable. You're going to make those decisions. The only thing a budget does for you is let you know where you're spending because, because you're ready for this. What if you're wasting some money? What if you've got money going out that you just haven't even seen, you don't even know where it went, you get to the end, you realize that simply by doing a budget allows you to be more strategic. You go, man, you know, last year all we got to do was go out in a tent and camp in the woods. If I was a little more strategic with some of the money that slipped around, we we could have gone, I mean, full-blown Disney World. See, I'm not talking about trying to make you frugal and live like the Amish. I'm just simply saying, know where it's going. Use the dollars to their best effect in your life. And if part of your best effect is, I just want to, woo, I want to spend. At least you'd know where you were spending it. And then here's the second part of it. Somehow, you've got to make sure that during the course of the month, that money doesn't end up flying out of your account that you don't know about. That, that somehow your plan, whatever that plan is that you created out of that budget doesn't end up inadvertently sabotaged by accident. Okay, so let me tell you what happens an awful lot for us. Uh, you're going through a month, and uh, all of a sudden he says, hey, you know what, we probably ought to fix that on the car, so I think I'll just, I'll do that. And then uh, she says, you know, I've been waiting for forever to get a couch, and I told my husband, no, we need a couch, and then I saw it on sale. I'll save him money if I get the couch. And so we bought the couch on sale, and so through the month, we, we've inadvertently made some purchases that weren't necessarily part of the plan. And so we get to the end of the month and we go, wow, we are hanging on by our fingertips. And we have, because we did not live within the plan, we have inadvertently sabotaged our own finances. Because two managers were both dipping into the same pot and not communicating with each other. So let let me give you a different suggestion that might be helpful. Here's what Lisa and I do. Lisa and I actually have three accounts. One account for me, one account for her, one account that's general. And what we've done in managing our money is we've said, Lynn, okay, here, here's what you're going to need for gas, and here's what you're going to need for lunches during the day, and, and here's what you're going to need to get your hair done, because it's really expensive to get this hairdo. And, uh, <laughs> and then we've thrown in there, and here's some mad money. Here's just some have fun Go ahead and buy your video game. I don't care money. Okay? And so that's in there. And then we've done the same for Lisa. We've said, hey, here, you know, here's pedicures or whatever. And guys, here's what you need to know. We've been fairly generous with what we've allotted to each other to manage during the month. And, and in the course of the month, I, I can make any decision I want about that. That's my money to be able to do it. And guys, this isn't about having separate accounts. or I, It's not about that. It's about giving us the freedom to be able to have some fun and do what we're going to do. 
And if I if I decide to take a sandwich that week for lunch and save that money, I've got that much more money to do it. See, however I manage this, I can I can end up with a lot of play money at the end of the month because we've been generous with each other. But in the main account, the account which we pay all of our bills, all of that, neither of us touches this account without consulting the other. None of us, neither of us, makes a purchase out of this account because this this is my account. This is her account to man. And because at the end of the month, we don't want any surprises. We want this money to go where we directed it to go. And guys, I cannot even tell you the level of tension. I can't even tell you how much this relieves the end of the month. Because you don't have two managers both reaching into the same pot. So guys, you've got to come up with a plan and then you've got to figure out a way not to let anyone sabotage the plan. Okay? So number two was we're going to track the money. Number three... You and I have got to get out of dumb debt. You and I have got to get out of dumb debt. This is killing us. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by dumb debt. I'm not talking about your house mortgage. Matter of fact, I'm going to suggest that having a house is probably a pretty wise investment on your part. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know there's a couple people in here, you could be really conservative. You say, I just don't want to have any. But before you write the email... Just take a little time, process the information, understand we're talking about an appreciable asset, okay? And, and I'm just going to tell you that having a home mortgage, probably not a bad level of debt, okay? And, and even the most conservative say it's probably the least painful set of debt. Some of us have uh, loans on our cars. And I'm just going to tell you, this, this, one's, this one's minorly suspect. I mean, it is, uh, because here's the deal. You realize you're, you're paying interest on something that depreciates. There is absolutely no hope that you're not going to spend a whole heck of a lot of money and never get any of it back. And so, okay, but most of us have our car loans probably somewhere between 4% and 8%. Okay, okay. So if you're going to have debt, How cool would it be if you and I got so far ahead on this thing that we started paying cash for cars? That'd be a good day, wouldn't it? Okay. But here's the, here's what you and I have got to attack. You and I have got to attack dumb debt. And dumb debt, I'm just going to say, here's the easiest way to think of it. Dumb debt is any debt that has double-digit interest on it. It's dumb. It is absolutely dumb to have any debt that has double-digit interest. Matter of fact, which means, you ready for this? Basically, every charge card in your wallet qualifies as dumb debt. And it's killing you. I, I, here's, here's the deal. You've got, you've got debt. You've got charge cards. You've got visas and MasterCards that you're paying off, and you don't even remember what you bought with them. And you know what? You want to hear the really bad news? That thing you bought that you're paying 20% plus, it already broke. And you're still paying on it. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, this is reckless, and it's, it's just dumb. It's just absolutely dumb to have 20-plus percent consumer debt in your life. So let me give you a simple plan of how you and I are going to get out of debt. Now, look, I'm not going to tell you that you'll never have a charge card again. You probably need a charge card when you go to rent a car, whatever it is. I'm simply going to say we're going to get to a place where we pay off the balance every single month so we incur no debt. Not at 20 plus percent. That's insane. That's crazy. So let me give you a simple formula for you and I to work ourselves out of dumb debt. Okay. So I, I created just kind of a basic run of the mill scenario. 
Okay, they said, okay, so this particular person, they owe 25000 to one uh, charge card, 5000 to another, 3000 to another, 1800 to one, 3200 to one. Did you know the average American has $15,900 worth of consumer debt? I'll give you a reference. So here's what's probably happening. Uh, you've got minimums. In other words, there's minimum payments associated with each of those charge cards. And you've learned, you've said, you know, you, you can't pay minimums uh, because you read that little box. Think about this. Think about this. How messed up is that debt that the government has to step in, just like on a cigarette package, and give you a warning label that says, if you pay just the minimum, you will be paying on this charge card for 150 years. I mean, that, how crazy is that? So chances are the majority of us are trying to pay a little bit of something that exceeds the minimum. And, and that's what we're doing. But here's what, guys, if you do this, if you stay on this plan, you will still be paying for forever on these charge cards. You just reduce the 150 years to like 10. So here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something that may seem counterintuitive, but guys, it has the chance to get us out of this as quickly as possible. So guess what you're going to do? You're going to start paying the minimums again. So you're going to take all of these cards... And begin to go down to the minimums on those cards. By doing that, you're going to free up $200 to start applying toward one card. So you take the first card, you were paying the minimum of 100 But now that you freed up 200 you can start making $300. Whoops. Okay, it just went crazy. There we go. I think that's it. Is that it? No, that is not it. Okay, it shifted to something else. All right, never mind. Okay, so let me do... All right, we're going to walk this through. So, (laughs) in your imagination that I am writing on the screen for you. All right, so the first one now, by taking the $200 that you save by by going back to minimums, you're going to go after that $2,500 charge with $300 payments. We got it so far? You're going to pay that card off somewhere around eight months from now. That card's done and that payment is off your payment schedule. You're then going to skip down. And here's the thing. Don't go after your biggest card because your biggest card is going to take you the longest time. Go after a medium-sized card. Okay? Save the biggest one for last. Okay? Because we're going to get enough momentum that that easy one's going to, that big one's going to get taken care of real easily. So you finish the $2,500 card and now we jump down to the $3,000 card. Oh, look at that. All right, you are genius. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All I had to do was push done, and then it came back. All right, so 300. So now we're going to jump down to the $3,000 card. So now remember, you've got the 300 you've been paying. You've got the $85 minimum payment. So now you're at $385 that you're able to put to this card. You paid this one off in eight months. You're going to pay this second card off in probably just a little bit under eight more months. Okay? And that second card is gone. But this is where it starts to get fun because now it begins to snowball. And you're going to be able to attack these things much, much faster. You're now going to take the $385 that you had, take the $60 minimum. Now you're making $445 payments. Uh, You're going to get this card done in less than three months. 
You're then going to take the $445 that you've been paying. You're going to take the $95 minimum you've been paying on this card. You've now got $540 to start applying against this. And you're going to pay this off in about five months. And you say, well, wait, wait, Lynn, that math doesn't. Well, remember, you've been making payments all along. You have reduced the principal a little bit as you've gone. And by the time you get ready to attack this card, you're probably around $2,500, $2,600 still left. You'll get it done in five months or just a hair more. Okay, And then finally, you're going to take that $540, you're going to put it up here against this one, you're now going to have $670 to start paying off that largest charge card. That charge card is probably going to get paid off in about seven months. And you realize that within about 29 months, you're going to be completely out of dumb debt. And think about this, you're going to have $700 every single month you don't even know what to do with. You're like, wow, I mean, what, what am I going to do with that? I got $700 more margin. Here's the deal. Use some of it for fun. Use some of it for something that you want. Put a little bit of it away. Create a little more margin. But you guys realize the incredible capacity to create buffer in our lives when we get rid of dumb debt at 20 plus percent. Why are you and I willing to borrow from charge companies that don't want anything for you? You get they just want something from you. They are not your friend. Visa, Visa does not love you. Okay? And yet you're, you're giving them a huge portion of your income in debt, in credit, in interest. Okay? So step number four. Here we go. Step number four. Real quick. Grab your Bibles. Go with me because this one I want you to look at. It's going to be the book of Malachi. So here's what you're going to do to get there. You're going to take your Bible. You're going to open it to the middle. You're probably going to get Psalms or Proverbs. And then you're going to go to the right, and you're going to go to the very last book of the New or the Old Testament. It's a book called Malachi. If you get to Matthew, you just went into the New Testament, you went too far, come back. It's the book before Matthew. It's Malachi chapter 3. And here, here's the la- here's step number four. Here's what you and I are going to begin to do out of today. I'm going to ask every single person in the room to leave here and do some version of what I'm about to say to you. And it's simply this, that you and I are going to leave here today committed to giving to God first, whatever you determine in your heart that is, but I'm going to give to God first, I'm going to give to myself second, and then I'm going to live on the rest. Okay? I'm going to give to God first, I'm going to give to myself second, and then I'm going to live on the rest. Okay? Here it is. It's it's the book of Malachi, chapter 3. Watch what God says about this idea of giving to him first and how critical this step is in our lives. You ready? Malachi, chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Here's what it says. Will a mere mortal rob God? Would would just just someone who's, who's... I mean, you're just a human being. Would you and I ever presume... To rob God. Yet you rob me, God says. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and in offerings. You are under a curse. Whereas God's saying, look, I'm, I'm just going to turn my face away. If you can't be obedient in this part of your I'm just going to turn my face away from you. I'm not going to help you in this area of your life. I'm not going to be collaborative with you in this area of your life. You're on your own. The whole nation of you, because you are robbing me, 
Bring the, what's the next word? All right, this is not a, this is not a trick. What's the next word? Bring the whole tithe. What's a tithe? 10%. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says, right for this, test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So God say, look, look, I know this is counterintuitive. I know, I know, I know, I know. But I'm going to ask you to give to me first, give to yourself second, and live on the rest. Okay, which would mean, let's just process this for a moment. If I'm tithing at 10%, I'd be giving 10% to God. I'd be giving 10% to myself. Remember, creating the margin. And we'd be living on the 80%. We'd be living on the rest. Hence the goal. 10 to God, 10 to me, 80% to God. Now, look, 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 look. I get it. Some of you going, okay, Lynn. This is that moment that you know you said, hey, this was all about helping me, and this is what God wanted for me, and now it sounds an awful lot like you're wanting something from me right now. You realize as God gives this command, guys, you gotta catch this. This will change your life if you understand this moment. If God wanted your money, he'd take it. The government takes your money. Right? The government goes, hey, I want some of your money, so before you even touch it, I'm going to take it. God is bigger than the IRS. If God wanted your money, he'd take it. This is not about taking your money. Ready for this? Ready? The reason God asks for it is because of what comes with your money. When you give it, which is, you ready? Your heart. And he won't take that. You have to give it. Let, let, me, let me see if I can, let me see if I can help a little bit. Because I know you're still skeptical. You got a kid who's rebellious. You got a kid who's fighting you, fighting you, fighting you, fighting you, fighting you every day about cleaning their room. And, 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 and no matter how many times you go in, you say, look, Tommy, you got to clean your room. And they're, and then it's worse the next day. How incredible is the day that Tommy comes back and says, hey, dad, hey, mom, go check out my room. And it's clean. And Tommy says, look, look, look. I really don't care about cleaning my room, but I know you care about me cleaning my room. And so I've decided to obey. You ready for this? You get that that moment of obedience, that moment in which he says, I'm going to stop fighting with you, dad. I'm going to stop arguing with you, mom. That moment turns the heart of the child back toward the parent. And you realize that that you are closer to that child because of that decision to stop arguing and fighting. It changes the relationship. So let me ask you a question. When are you going to stop arguing with God about this? Because you realize this, this area for the vast number of us is an area that keeps you and God in an argument perpetually. And the very moment in which you say, God, look, I'm just done arguing about it. I'm, I'm done. I'm done fighting you over this. And I'm, I'm just simply going to obey. You realize that moment will change your heart. 
and it will put you in a place in relationship with God that you have not experienced yet. Remember, we said with the beginning, you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and have this part of your life out of whack. You will never know what it means to be a sold out Christian and keep arguing over this issue. It'll change you. And God didn't want your money. He wanted your heart that came with your money. Here's another benefit. You realize that by giving, when you give to God first, it absolutely slays greed in your life. It slays greed. You can't be greedy and in the same breath be generous. You can't give money away just saying, look, I'm going to do this to bless somebody else. I just want to help somebody else's life. You can't do that and be a greedy boogerhead. <laughs> Giving slays greed. Giving, you ready for this? Giving isn't just an act of obedience. Giving may be the most powerful statement of love in your life. This may be the place in which you most clearly affirm to God, you ready? That you love Him more than anything you could have bought with the money. You love Him more than a 70-inch big screen TV. You love Him more than a car. God, I love you more than anything I bought. Think, guys, think about this. My guess is in this room, most of us either have, either are, or are going to help our kids through college. Have you caught on that college is like stinking expensive? I mean, it's crazy. Some of you are going to work extra hours to do that. Some of you are going to get a second job to do that. Some of, some of our gals are going to go back into the workforce to do that. Why, why, why? Why would you do that? Because in your heart, you love your child more than the money. That's not even a decision for you. I, I would do that ten times over because I love my child more than the money. Can you say that about God? Because where your money goes, there goes your heart. See, God didn't want the money. He wanted the heart that goes with it. And then finally, and then God says, hey, and if you'll do this, man, watch me bless you. Watch me bless you. I'm, I'm going to bring such deep fulfillment. I'm going to change the culture of your life. I'm just going to tell you. And it may not even be monetary. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you. Your life is going to find so much more fulfillment when you find ways to take the pieces God gave you in the box and leverage them into eternity. And he says, look, you're gonna, you won't even believe what this does to your heart and how blessed you'll feel for having blessed others. I, I was trying to figure out how to explain this to you and try to figure that out. And I... And I couldn't get there. I was having such a hard time. And I found a video that another church did about a couple who gave faithfully and served faithfully. And in the process of producing this, I went, oh my goodness, that's exactly what it means. When God says, I want something for you, not something from you. So do me a favor, watch this video in a moment. And here's what I want you to watch. I want you to watch the couple that's at the center of this video. And here's what I want to ask you. Are you that couple? Could that couple be you. Here we go. I know you guys don't know why you're here. Yeah, so, I so absolutely no idea. You both have been such a vital part of going to church in, in these early days, and so you've been serving and, and giving. And so, I just want to hear a little bit and tell us, you know, why you do this? Why, why are you part of the church? Why are you? Some of you got a beautiful family, but a big family. So, 
Time is of the essence uh, in, in these early days, but you've been faithful to give and to serve. So just tell us a little bit about why you do that. I would say we've, you know, our church, our church journey has been a long one. We both grew up in church and, um, and even since moving down here from Michigan in 04, I don't know. I think I think a lot of people could probably relate to growing up in church and hitting a point in your life where you get jaded to some degree. Um, and Andy's talked about how you know when you learn about Santa Claus and God in the same time of life, and then real life sets in. That kind of happened to us. I think coming down here a few years ago, and then so our church experience was sort of tied up in that whole jaded thing right to that we got to a place where we thought man i don't know about this church thing mm-hmm. um this was a few years ago right before Gwinnett church launched and then when we we found out the building was going to be built it was going to be close to home and tim was already playing at uh north point campuses i felt god speak to my heart specifically and say i want you to be a part of this mm-hmm. and i thought well probably for our kids because they need to grow up in church. Um, but the first Sunday that we were there, God really, really started changing my heart. And Gwinnett Church was the first church that I actually invested in, served in, volunteered. And doing that and watching that come alive helped me understand what Jesus was talking about when he talks about his church, his body of believers, and how powerful that can be. And I never understood that before. So for us, it's just been such an incredible eye-opening experience. It's been new for us to give to a place like this and to watch it blossom and watch what Jesus can do through relationships. It's great. That's great, Jerry. Yeah, we've loved it. So in this early family years, it's time and then it's expensive, and yet you guys have been faithful to give to Gwinnett Church. So what was that decision like about, you know, not only just attending church and being a part of it, but financially going, no, we're we're, we're all in. What was that like? To be totally frank, we kind of financially given here and there spotily until Gwinnett Church started. And maybe it was that same thing where it's like, we believe in this and we want to invest in this. And it has been awesome to, It's. I told him last time we were like writing that check, I said, every time, you know, it's a big number. And I, I look at it and then I say, thank you, God. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you said thank you because um, part of today is I wanted to say thank you. You know, as, as a pastor, you're like, uh, how do I say thank you to folks who are making a financial uh, sacrifice and also a time sacrifice, especially in the young life of your church? So what I wanted to do is not just say thank you for me. So we got some friends together. And uh, so they've gathered together to say, hey, thank you for the sacrifice that you've made. Um, because what's happening is as you write that check, um, as you serve, then these lives are being changed. And the lives behind me are a representation of the lives that are going to be changed in this room. That you're helping uh, put nails and beams and all of this is uh, part of what you're doing. So I wanted you to hear some real life stories of thank you that when you write that big check, God's saying, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use your service and I'm going to create life change. So um, I want you to hear from Renee and Jamal and EJ first. Hmm. 
<laughs> Thank you guys for coming. Um, it, it's been an amazing experience, I know, for us uh, coming to Gwinnett Church. We jumped right in, started volunteering, and I remember the first time being in Upstreet um, in, in a small group uh, leader role, and I said instantly that my child has to grow up in an environment like this because I didn't have that opportunity. It's been kind of overwhelming, but it's because of you know families like yours who give and who serve um relentlessly uh you know just uh it's been it's been a great time and we're just so thankful for families like you because now ej is going to be able to grow up in an environment that jamal and i didn't have growing up and we're just so so thankful our hearts are so full and if i had to describe gwinnett church in one word i would say it's family Mm -hmm. and we consider you more than just people we serve with but your family so thank you yeah thank you Oh, man. What's up, brother? How you doing? Um, well, my name is Nick. <laughs> uh, my story here at Gwinnett started about uh, a little over two years ago um, when I walked through the doors here for the first time. Uh, about that time in life, um, I was struggling really, really, really hard um, with a lot of things. Um, at the time, I was uh, struggling with depression and thoughts of suicide daily. Gwinnett Church was kind of a last-ditch effort for me. Um, I wanted to come back, and I did. Uh, kept coming back. Eventually, I opened the doors to God again, slowly but surely, until um, I formed a relationship with Him. Last year, I got baptized, took my faith public, and uh, it's all because of, of, of you guys here at Gwinnett. Um, I was at rock bottom, uh, but it was there that I found that Jesus is the rock at the bottom, and that is all because of you guys and your generosity and your giving and just how much you pour your hearts into Gwinnett every single week. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Love you. Take care, okay? Jeez. Allergies. Hi. I'm Heather and I'm a mother and I'm a wife. Thank God. Um, in 2008, my husband was in a car accident coming home from work, and he suffered a traumatic brain injury. And our daughter, Cindy, was four months old. And um, he had to relearn everything, including who I was and that he had a daughter. And we did it. And we, we came forward. And he came home, and people walked alongside us, and and we got back to being a family. But when your brain is affected, you become a different person. And this year we'll celebrate our 10-year anniversary. We were married four years by choice, and we've been married six years to two different relationship, a different person, and it's been a struggle. And in 2010, I would have quit. I would have walked away, and it would have been okay. And I realized when I stopped and thought, I didn't involve God in that decision. And we started coming to Gwinnett, and our daughter wanted to come to Gwinnett. And she kept us coming. 
and God came into our lives and our small group leaders came into our lives and our community group kept us accountable and we didn't quit and we can't thank you enough for saving our marriage and our family and that my daughter will grow up and she can say mommy and daddy in the same house and because of people like you that are giving we won't be the only success story because y'all started just one little check thank you so much thank you thank you wow I know that's a little overwhelming but so how do you feel about just hearing just just yeah three stories gosh it just makes like what I was saying when I say thank you every time I write that check now I really know what I'm saying thank you for that's incredible um I just feel like uh, such a you know it's, it's humbling such, I'm such a small part we're such a small part and the kingdom's like a, like this mustard seed is so small you know and I know I feel like a small little seed and she does and those checks they feel like a small little drop in a bucket of this I mean what did what did we pay for that event right there I mean like <laughs> so it's such a small thing but it's just so cool how many it's humble it's just again humbling to see like how those little seeds, tiny little seeds, can just, you know, and ripple effect. And that we can be some small part in such a huge kingdom, such a huge family. And Well, we're very grateful for you. And we just wanted to rally around you and say thank you. And, and we're grateful that you're on this journey. You're a very, very vital part. Thank you. Holly. Thank you. Yet, it's not that God wants something from you. He wants something for you. And you realize that every person in this room who's faithful in your giving and you're faithful in your serving, you're at the table. We could have, we could have set you down and we could have walked person after person and story after story and you did that. And, and if you're in this room today and you're not, you're not part of it, you're not, you're the invitation of God. Just, God, just get a seat at the table. And please, please look, look, at the very least, tell me you have a plan to be at the table. See, here's the deal. I, I guarantee you that over half of us today, if we went home, if we did our budgets, there's enough margin. If you were simply strategic with you today, could be doing 10% for God, 10% for yourself, and living on... You, you could do it. You, you could already be fully vested at the table today. Not because God needs it. Because you want to be at that table. And I, I, I know there's a, some in the room and you say, Lynn, there's just no way. There's no way. There's no way I could ever do 10, 10, 8. I couldn't do that. But th- then tell me you've got a plan. 
I can't believe that you and I can be fully devoted followers of Christ and say, look, I'm just going to live this part of my life forever in disobedience. I'm never going to get this part of my life right. So tell me that you got a plan. So what if, what, what if you simply did that? What, what if you took a step on the path? What if you took today one step in the right direction for this? What if, what if you set aside and said, look, I'll do 2% for God. I'll do 2% for myself to start creating. I'll live on 96% of my income. If you were to simply do that for five years and each year bump it another 2%, do you realize in five years you'd be fully vested in sitting at the table? Tell me you got a plan to be at the table. And look, here's the deal. If you never do, if you never give a penny, you can still come to church here. You can come for free for forever. But for me, for my family, we will always give to the church. Because, 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 you ready? The church is the hope of the world. It is the only place that has the story of Jesus Christ. This is not United Way. United Way is a charity. This is a mission. And so I will always be at the table. But if you aren't, you can come for free. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask that you walk out of this room and do something. That you work through the steps we've talked about. It's going to leverage your life to a better place. I'm going to ask you to get a seat at the table. Not because God needs something from you, because he wants that for you. And when you make that decision, I'm going to ask you to go do it online. That way you don't have to make this decision again every single month. It's a done deal in your life. It's a one-time and done decision. And and you either go online to Cornerstone Online and you do it there for a withdrawal. Or you go to your bank and you make a withdrawal. I get paid on the first. And I'm going to pay. God's going to be the first thing that comes out on the second. God first. Myself second. Live on the rest. Let's pray. I want to do this just a little bit differently today. I'm going to ask you to pray with me through part of this prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray out loud in your seat. Uh, And that prayer would go something like this. Dear God, what were you hoping I would do when you gave me what you gave me? And why did you give me so much? Dear Lord Jesus, we're simply coming to the moment. And God, all of a sudden, scales are falling from our hearts. We're starting to understand this conversation differently. You never were about the money. You were always about our hearts. You were always hoping for something for us that we were missing as we lived our lives in selfishness and greed and consumption. And God, we were missing out on the very best part of life, the chance to make our lives have eternity as a part of what we did. God, I'm just going to pray over this room that you would bring hundreds to the table. That they would experience what that couple experienced for the first time. And this I pray in Jesus' name.